0: Good morning everyone. Gee uh, I gotta say that's an act of faith I have just hit go live on uh, the Facebook interface there and I just have to trust (laughs) that you are out there and that you can see me although I see a little button popped up and says six people there, 12 people are there, 13. So hey it's nice to see you. Uh, As you can tell well I'm here firmly and quite comfortably ensconced at our place. At home, I've made myself at home as you might hope. I've got uh, Word of God in front of me. It's nice to have the paper edition here rather than a device as I sit in a big auditorium and uh, Catherine's made me a cup of tea, so. Mm. Yeah, we're ready to go there. I've got my notes just off to the side. And um, yeah, it's nice to be able to still gather with you. Obviously, we're not having in-person services today, but Lord willing and technology going to plan, Uh, we will have a good time together today. So uh, we're going to open up the word shortly, but how about I just pray and we'll get into it. Father God, thank you for bringing us today and reminding us, Lord, that in all circumstances, we are your church. We are your body, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would anoint me for this moment and that, Lord, you would be present with all of us wherever we are uh just scattered around the city or other places in the country lord that you would speak to our hearts and lord would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to obey what you have for us this morning in jesus name amen yeah so the the title is we are the church that's the series we're in uh at the moment and we've just had a a couple of um a few sensational weeks on this actually Uh, talking about some of the big metaphors that the Bible uses to describe the church. And we've heard about the bride, and we've heard uh, about the family, and I think there might be one other that I'm forgetting at the moment. But today we're going to be talking about the body, the church is the body of Christ. And we're going to base ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you've got a Bible handy, we're going to read from verse 12 through to... Uh, End of verse 26, so I'm going to be reading from the NIV 1984, so here we go. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Isn't that cool? He arranged them just just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Now, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. You know it's almost a shame in a way that I I couldn't um, give this presentation to you in person. I was going to bring this prop which I thought didn't really work in my office setting but it's this huge piece of wood and uh, a couple of years ago I was doing a bit of reinforcing in our garage and I needed to make a bit of the wall a bit stronger because I wanted to hinge a door off it and uh, this piece of wood if you can imagine it was sort of maybe about that sort of um, dimensions in terms of its thickness and height-wise, it was maybe uh, you know well, maybe one and a half meters high. It's a big piece of wood, and uh, to mount this, I had to sort of stick it on a bit of a ledge. So it was it was up high in the air. Sort of half at the bottom of it was half a meter off the ground, and just in a moment of inattention, I had it sort of positioned where I wanted to. I, I just was thinking about something else or looking at something else. And I turned turned away. I didn't quite look at it, and it slipped off the ledge and fell half a meter onto my big toe. And I can tell you, in that moment, I had no trouble believing that my toe was a part of the body, even though I have many parts to my bodies. I was reminded then, without uh, <laughs> without any doubt, that I am an indivisible whole. And so it is with the body of Christ. That is what what Paul is getting at here. There are lots of parts and I want to run through a few more of the the sort of more subtle ideas and sometimes not so subtle ideas that he runs through here. So uh, firstly Paul really radically, this is a big idea, he is defining membership in the body by belief and by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You can see that he says for we were all baptized by one spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, God himself, into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And this was incredible because Paul, as you can see, he is saying, Look, your identity is not defined by your ethnicity, for example. He says there's neither Jew nor Greek in this, in this scheme of things. He says that your economic status doesn't matter. He says there's neither slave nor free in any of this. We were all given the one spirit to drink. What unites you? is your belief in jesus christ that he died and rose and and that he is your savior and and the holy spirit the indwelling of the holy spirit has come into your life and so that is what makes you a member of the body and because of that what paul has done there in demolishing those very traditional markers of identity he has opened up the body to everyone It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter if you make a lot of money or you don't make much money at all. It doesn't matter what your economic status is, if you have a job or if you don't have a job. There is a place for you in the church of God. That's what he wanted to say. Now, there's some other cool things in here as well. He makes the point that actually within the body, everyone is indispensable. Everyone has a part to play. You are crucial. You cannot say, in fact, you cannot even deny your own place in the body. You can't say, an ear can't say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. So, uh, look, I wonder if, if, with all respect, this is a message for you that you need to get over yourself and stop thinking, maybe I'm not a part of the body, maybe I don't matter. Paul's point here is you do matter. You matter to the body and we need you. We all need you, we all need each other, if we are to function. That's the big idea here. Uh, a, a couple of other points, I, I'd say that there is a deep oneness in all of this. And finally, I would say I love the point that Paul seems to be making, that there's no egos here, right? He, said, he uses this metaphor of some parts of the body uh, that are unpresentable, the literal body, the physical bodies we have that are unpresentable, are treated with special modesty. And he also says um, uh, the opposite, that those, those parts of the body which are presentable don't need any kind of special treatment. Uh, broadly, you could distill that down to the point that there's to be no egos here. You know, we, we all have a part to play. And whether, uh, you know, you're a, a guy with a mouth who talks a lot like me, or if you play uh, more of a less obvious role in the church, it's not about us. We are one body. It's not about the individual, it's about all of us. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. So I think that's really cool. So this is the body where there's a place for everyone, where everyone has a part to play, where there's to be no egos, and uh, we just support each other in life. Uh, That that, that little statement kept ringing for me as I thought about that big uh, post that (laughs) landed on my toe. When one part suffers, every part suffers. And if one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Can that be true of us today? That's a great challenge, I think, for us. Now, here's the other thing. We're not just a body. We're not just anyone's body. We are the body of Christ. Now, that is a radical kind of statement. We are the body of Jesus Christ himself. That is how he wants us to think of ourselves. And the, the idea that, that kept resonating with me as I prepared this message was that, you know, the church is to be the most manifest expression of God on the earth. You know, the church is not some sort of consolation prize while while the Lord himself is in heaven waiting to return. We are his very presence on earth. Jesus in one point said in, in John chapter 14 in our Uncommon series, you might remember reading, Jesus said we would do even greater things than he did. And one sense in which I think we can do greater things is by acting as a collective, as a body, as many, many people where Christ had one body, one human body at least. Uh, he, He now has many bodies. He has all of us united as one, taking his message and his presence into the world today. We are the body of Jesus Christ himself. That is an incredible thought. The church is not a consolation prize. We are here to make an incredible impact in the world. Now, the, the other cool thing about this is that Paul tells us that God has equipped the body with spiritual gifts. He has filled us with his Holy Spirit. And the image that came to mind for me here was, if you remember in the book of Genesis, God forms Adam. He forms the first man out of the dust of the earth. But in that moment, Adam is still just a body. He is just flesh. And blood, but not more, until God breathes the breath of life into him and he becomes a living being. He is animated, he's alive, he is a living being. And so it is with the church, right? As a body, we're not just to be like any other group of people on the face of the earth, we are filled and empowered by his Holy Spirit. As individuals, the Bible teaches us that when you accept Jesus as Lord, he puts his Holy Spirit into you as an individual, but he also moves in us as a collective and does this wonder thing that, wonderful thing that it's so much more than the sum of the parts. He fills us so that we can work together and accomplish his mission. And Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians to talk about spiritual gifts. Uh, he has a, a, a lot to say about this. I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of a flavor of it. He, he says... Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those speaking in different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret, but eagerly desire the greater gifts? So he he rattles off a list there and there's quite a few different types of uh, gifts, spiritual gifts, and some of them are supernatural. Uh, You've got things like gifts of healing and miracles and speaking in different tongues, different languages. And some of them are really, really practical uh, gifts of helping each other, gifts of administration, uh, that kind of thing so there's there's quite a range here and uh, and even then I, this isn't really a comprehensive list what Paul is giving us is just a sense of the diversity of gifts that exists in the body and and the point is is that again we need to be applying all of these gifts everyone has something and something invaluable something indispensable to give and uh, I, I, I I think we want to save I want us to save uh, a more in-depth Teaching on the the specific gifts, but uh, what I wanted to encourage us with is I was talking to Simon this week about this passage and, and how we might approach it, and I thought he just had a terrific point of view. He said that in the in the West, you know, we often approach a topic from a quite a heady sort of space. You know, it's about knowledge, and uh, that's where that that uh, idea of Gnosticism came from. Actually, it's 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 knowledge, and the point that Paul would have us focus on, I think, more is is, our, is an understanding and a depth of experience when it comes to these gifts. And so when it comes to spiritual gifts granted by the Holy Spirit, Simon's suggestion was was perhaps our first priority ought to be to pursue the Spirit himself, to pursue a greater closeness with God, and the gifts will follow, and we ensure we need to learn and understand those gifts and apply them in the right way. But let's take that as a little application for us today to pursue the Holy Spirit himself so that we might know all that he has given us, what he has empowered us to do. We might have that sense of call and know where we can apply our special gifts to build up the body. Now that's the other point I want to come to now. What is the point of all the gifts working together. What is their major, major purpose? And it is that. So Paul said that to each of us, a manifestation of the Spirit, different gifts are given for the common good. For the common good. The primary purpose of spiritual gifts when you look at them in this passage in the Bible and elsewhere too, is to build up the church. It's to build up you and it's to build up me so that we might grow into maturity as the body of Christ. And Paul actually talks about this in uh, another one of his letters. It's the, the book of uh, Ephesians, I think. I didn't put my verse reference here, which is a bit rough. But uh, maybe someone else in the body can help me out with that in due course. <laughs> but I'm going to read you the, the text where it says uh, that it is it is Ephesians, actually. Paul encourages the leaders of the church to build up the body of Christ so that together, speaking the truth in love, We will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together in every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Don't you love that? I love that image. It makes me think of one of those sort of biology posters where you see a human skeleton with the skin off and it's a bit gory but you can see the ligaments and the the muscles and the bones and everything holding together and the purpose of the gifts is that right so that we might hold together we might grow together as a body and we might mature so that we are not lacking in any way we're to grow up as a body that is the purpose of the gifts that is the purpose of your gift it's to help other people in the body to grow, to be built up, to be to mature. And the other thing that Paul really emphasizes, if we come back to 1 Corinthians and all of this, is love. He says we are to practice these gifts with love. If you don't have, have love, if you just sort of go through the motions and do the thing you think you're supposed to do, Paul says, well, it's pretty much a waste of time. You're like a clanging gong or a resounding cymbal. You need to bring love. But if we bring those things together, if we pursue the Holy Spirit with love to build up the church, then we will be functioning as the body of Christ on this earth, growing into maturity. And when we do that sort of thing, when we do that all together, the world really takes notice. Now, I want to finish with a few examples of this sort of stuff in action, which I think are really cool. Firstly, uh, I want to have a look at Paul. He's got a little sip of tea here. So Paul, Paul's a bit of a superstar, right? We all know this guy. He wrote a bunch of books in the Bible. Easy to think. He's a rock star evangelist, kind of out there solo, getting around the Mediterranean, preaching the word. But he, he, he actually relied heavily on the church of God. He was just one part of the church of God as he went about his mission. And it started when he was on the road to Damascus. At this point, his name is still Saul. And he's going around persecuting the church. He's not a follower of Jesus Christ yet. He's going around having people arrested, that kind of thing. Giving approval to their death even. But Paul on the road to Damascus has this encounter with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. Jesus appears to him in blazing light. And he confronts, confronts Paul, Saul, as he was then. And, and uh, Paul has this conversion moment. But he's blinded. He's blinded by the sight of the risen Lord. And his companions have to help him to Damascus. And he's there for a few days and he's still blind. He still can't see until a man comes along named Ananias. And this Ananias, he hesitates a little bit when he's told to go see this guy, Saul, because he knows his reputation. He knows he's been out there basically pulling the church down. But he he's obedient to what God tells him to do. And he says this when he re- reaches uh, Saul. He says, Brother Saul, don't you love that term of address? So Nick talked about us being brothers and sisters, the family of Christ. And here he is, Ananias, going to to Saul, this persecutor of the church, who he is assured has become a believer. And in spite of his trepidation, he opens with brother, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that cool? So Ananias, as the part of the body of Christ, applies a supernatural gift to restore the sight of Paul. Now, later in the book of Acts, here's another example. Paul and Barnabas go off on a mission. They're from a town called Antioch. It's a bit to the north. And they are to take the gospel out to a region called Galatia. And we read really simply, these two guys go out. And you'd, oh, you could very easily miss this. in the the passage in Acts, but we're told that this guy named John, John Mark, went, quote, as their helper. As their helper. And we're not actually told in what way he, he was helping. What we do know is that John Mark would later write the Gospel of Mark. So he's clearly a pretty smart, pretty capable guy. I wonder what he was learning as he went along with Paul and Barnabas. I wonder how he was growing up as a member of the body of Christ by seeing these two evangelists at work. I wonder how, imagine how that whole gospel story was building up in his heart and in his mind as he went along with them. And at the same time, he was providing help to Paul and Barnabas. I just think that is super cool. So we've got the supernatural help from Ananias and he just got really practical, he was their helper. I wonder what way could you help in the simplest of ways in the church today? Now finally, in, in Paul's example, I want to take us back to the church in Corinth where we started, to the church Paul was writing to when he talked about the body and these gifts. And Paul really interestingly, like I said, we had this idea in our minds that he was just, I don't know, like a, like a superstar, like just nothing could touch him. You know, he was tortured and shipwrecked and all this stuff and he just kept on going. But Paul said when he came to the church in Corinth, he wrote to them, in chapter 2, verse 3 of his first letter to them, he said, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. And that's not the image you always think of, is it, when you when you see this man, this evangelist, that he maybe had he had some, some challenges and where it's not really quite clear what was going on in his life there, if he was lacking confidence in that moment, if he generally lacked confidence, or if he was sick, or who knows what. But Man, he was clearly not in a healthy place when he came to this church in Corinth. He was out there on mission for God, but he needed some help. And help was at hand. You see, there was this other couple named Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla had recently been uh, expelled from Rome. They were Jews. They were Christians who had been living in Rome, but... Because they were Christians, they had been expelled from Rome with all the other Jews because of all this fuss about Jesus Christ that was going on. They'd been kicked out of their home and they too had ended up in Corinth. And we're told in the book of Acts that they, just like Paul, were tent makers. And so these three people, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, lived together and they made tents to get by and because of that, fellowship, because of that comfort and because of that support, Paul, this man who came in fear and trembling, was able to spend 18 months in the church of Corinth, building up the church. How cool is that? So the church was so much at work. It took the whole church to take the gospel to the world. And that's what we see there. You know, like I said, Paul was kind of the mouthpiece, but he needed an Ananias. He needed a Barnabas He needed a John Mark, he needed an Aquila, he needed a Priscilla to do his work. And you know, this mission of the church continues today. So just last week, if you were at our city services, you might have heard about Kirsty and Richard, who are serving the church in Cambodia, and you know, an older generation of people there um, uh, were basically decimated by the regime of Pol Pot and the Khmer Rouge, but... There's a group of people who are younger in their faith, and they are being built up by Richard and Kirsty from here, from little old New Zealand, because they are followers of Jesus Christ investing in his church. And they equip these people, these believers, and they the believers are going out and spreading the gospel through Cambodia. You know, there's another example, uh, much closer to home in the eastern suburbs in Miramar that Simon was telling me about this week. And honestly, I had no idea how cool this was, but, The church out the street east uh, in the eastern suburbs has these things that they call community dinners. And once a week on a Wednesday night for the last 10 months or so, they have been feeding 50 people. 50 people, thereabouts, from the community. 50 people who are hungry. 50 people who are lonely. 50 people who need to know the love of Jesus Christ. And there they are as the body showing it To the world showing it to our society and they don't just provide food uh, or some kind of handout but they sit with people and they eat with them and the uh, our brothers and sisters at east took this up because they wanted to be known as a church that cares for the community and to and in doing so to open a door for the gospel and so there are spiritual conversations coming out of that isn't that cool the church is at work so that's it from me this morning, friends, brothers and sisters. We, as the body of Christ, are one body and everyone has a part to play. You know, there is no one, uh, no part too small and no part that seems too big that we can't do together. We, every every gift is indispensable and you've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. So let me encourage you today, get after the Lord, go and seek him and seek him together. Can you pray for someone today? Can you meet with your life group? Most of us are in a level of the lockdown where in New Zealand we can still meet in small groups. Why don't you meet as a small group? Why don't you find a way to encourage each other? If one part of the body suffers, we suffer with it. If another part of the body is honored, we rejoice with it. What can we suffer in together today? What can we rejoice in together today? That's all from me. How about I close us in prayer? and we will uh, get on our way. Father God, I thank you for sharing your word with us today. I thank you, Lord, that you shine a light into our hearts and you help us to see what it is you would have us do in any circumstance. And Lord, today it's clear that you would have us be one body. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the work you have for us together. That, Lord, even as we explore our individual gifts, we would keep sight of the whole, that we would... We would love one another as you've called us to love each other, Lord, that we would bring honour and glory to your name in such a way that the world says, what is going on with them? I want to be a part of that. So, Father, we pray this in your name, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you're doing for us and in us. And, Lord, we, we give you thanks that we can say we are the church. Amen. Hey, God bless you everyone and uh, take care out there. I hope uh, you you treat each other well in the lockdown and uh, uh, yeah, look out for each other, eh? We'll see you later.